0: Man, all right. It's a beautiful day out there today, isn't it? This is the kind of weather I can enjoy. The only thing that makes me a little—again, I'm I'm a Yankee by birth. So the only thing that gives me fear is we only have like three days like this in all of Tallahassee, and so I just know like we're not that far away from like mosquitoes the size of birds and humidity at three in the morning and fun times like that. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 6 as we continue our journey through uh, the Gospel of John. John chapter 6. The last few weeks, we, uh, we, we talked about a miracle, and then um, after, this, after Jesus heals this lame man, um, he ends up having this conversation that took course um, over several days, weeks, maybe even a month or so, uh, between he and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, authorities in that time, and, and there's this great debate over who Jesus is and who owns the Sabbath and all this stuff. And so, so we spent several weeks talking about that, and, and so this morning we're moving past that. We're going into John chapter 6, and there's a time difference here in, in between where we left last week and where we pick up this morning. Um, this, this is going to probably be a very familiar story, even to our, our, our young ones in the audience. And, and so we have this time, and when we look at the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke is written very much in a chronological order. And John's not written quite that way. Um, he doesn't necessarily, he worries more about the flow and the, the point that he's trying to make rather than the, the, having it in the proper right timely sequence. And, and so there's some things that take place between where he, we left last week and then where we get here this week. Um, a lot of different events. Um, like Jesus, if you're in Matthew, we would say that Jesus um, does the whole Sermon on the Mount. And uh, there's a whole lengthy uh, group of parables about the kingdom. And so several things take place. And, and then prior to this, right before this event takes place, um, probably even like the morning of, Jesus gets word that John the Baptist the one that we've, we've talked about on a few occasions here, his cousin, his close friend, the, the one that was the forerunner, the one who, who God ordained with the ministry of going and preparing the way, and then the one that would announce Jesus Messiah. He, this, this close friend of his, he receives word more than likely the morning of this event that he had been beheaded. Um, and, and so, again, when we read these things and we look at these things, we have to remember that like Jesus was 100% God. 100% God, right? We all hopefully agree on that one. He was also 100% man. Weird dichotomy. It's hard for us to fully grasp that and understand that. And so a lot of the emotions that we have as people, Jesus would have similar emotions. Again, John the Baptist, close friend, right? Whenever, whenever if, if most of us here have had the experience in our lives of losing a close friend, maybe a family member, right? And so those, those emotions of mourning and Loss and all those kind of things, Jesus would have similar things, right? I mean, this is someone he was close with. And so he gets a word of this, and, 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 and more than likely there's a sense of, of mourning. Jesus also in this time, is, he's becoming quite the popular person, kind of this, this hero. Um, he's performed all these, and John himself, in the Gospel of John, he'll record seven miracles, but, but he also tells us that, that there were many, many more Okay, and so Jesus is going around, he's teaching, uh, people are flocking to listen to him, his teachings, but more importantly, they're, they're coming to see all these different things that he's doing, these healings, these miracles, and so crowds are just flocking him, and, and people are excited about him, and, and he's becoming this like local celebrity, and Jesus and his disciples are, 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 are crowds are following him, and, and the scene that we're gonna look at this morning, they're tired. And, and, and Jesus is trying to go away in the wilderness, take his disciples away, and find a, just a, a, a time of relaxation, a, a chance for them to catch their breath and breathe and catch up on some sleep and all that kind of good stuff. But the crowds are going to follow him. And so this morning, let's, we're going to read the whole um, section here, and then we'll try and break it down a little bit. So John chapter 6, and we're going to read um, verses 1 through 15. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he, was going to, that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus asked or said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii would, worth of bread would be, not be enough to, for each to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, oh, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, He told His disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves by those who had eaten them. When the people saw the sign they had done, that He had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that you be with us this morning. This is an incredible miracle, Lord, an incredible story. And God, I think there's a lot for us to unpack this morning. There's a lot of things that we can, from a very practical sense, take and hopefully apply to our lives. I thank you for giving us the insights here, Lord. I, I thank you for allowing us to see this test that you would put Philip under, not to prove that he was wrong, but to give him an opportunity to fail and then grow from his failures. It's also an opportunity for us to look and see, God, there's a lot of Philip in all of us. And so this morning, I pray that you help reveal that to us. Lord, help us to find our faith in you and not other things. It's in your son's beautiful name we pray, Amen. So we have this scene here, right? So, so Jesus the disciples, they're, they're, they're trying to get away. The crowds are following him. And as the crowds are coming, Jesus turns to Philip. The Bible tells us he has this test question for him. The, the question is, well, where do we go buy the bread? These flocks of people. Now we know here, the Bible says there were 5,000 men, right? Five thousand. That, that's just the men. So I, we don't know exactly how many total people there were. I mean, more than likely they weren't all married, but, but, but there were women, there were children there. So honestly, we could, we could say 20,000 people is probably a very conservative number. This is a big crowd following Jesus, okay? And as the people are coming, I, I personally, I, I love this, the phrase that, he, that Jesus uses, as the people are coming, um, we see that... Um, Jesus says that he lifted up his eyes, verse 5, lifting up his eyes. The last time we see that phrase in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, is John chapter 4, verse 35. And that's when Jesus has been meeting with the woman at the well. Remember that story we talked about? That was the first message, I believe, that we preach here at Redemption Hill. And Jesus, he, he, he's, he, he deals with the woman at the well. The woman, after a long conversation with him, Comes the faith in Jesus, and then she runs back to town. About that same time, the disciples are coming back to him. And he has this sitting time, another time for him to, to, to teach his disciples. They're, they're upset. They don't understand why he's talking to this woman. It's a woman. Um, she's a Samaritan. They don't match up. They're, they're, they're outcast. They should not be talking with each other, period. And as Jesus begins to talk to them about, about their priorities being wrong, and Jesus tells them, you're more concerned with this bread, this physical bread. My bread is from the Father above. My, my nourishment comes from sharing with others. And as Jesus does that, he says, and his eyes were lifted up. And remember that phrase where Jesus tells them to look up? The fields are wet with harvest. It's that same phrase there. And as he's saying that in that context to the woman or in, in Samaria there around that well, most people, most commentaries will tell you that as he's more likely saying this idea with the fields are wet with harvest, he's saying that as the town is beginning to walk back up towards the well. And behind him, you see these people walking in their white robes. And it's interesting because he's using the same idea that he, his eyes are lifted up, he looks up, and the multitudes once again are coming to Jesus. We know in this story that the multitudes are coming with the wrong reasons. Jesus, for most of them, had turned into one or two things. Either a magician for their entertainment or a physician for their healing. They were caught up with the actions of Jesus. And so they wanted to come see him perform. So the crowds are walking. and this is One of the things I love about Jesus is, in the midst of this, the people, the crowds, had the wrong priorities. Jesus was moved with compassion. He saw where they were. And despite them having those wrong priorities, he had compassion upon them. So they're coming up. And Jesus turns to Philip, who would be their statistical pessimist of the group. And there's one in every group. And if we're all honest, there's a lot of Philip in all of us. And Jesus, as they're coming up, Jesus turns to Philip and says, hey man, where are we going to go buy the bread? Where are we going to go buy the food for him? You guys notice Philip's response? Does Philip offer him a location and where to go? No, Philip doesn't even answer Jesus' question. He says, um, as he does this little thing, he figures out kind of how many people are coming. He says, um, all right, as best I can figure, Jesus, it's going to take 200 denarii because it was, it was a, their Roman form, it was a, it was a, been a coin, and, and that one denarii would be equal to about one day's wage. And so he says, Jesus, man, for us to feed all these people just a little bit, it's going to take 200 denarii, 200 days worth of wages. Remember, Jesus, the disciples, these guys, they're just wandering around. They're preaching, they're teaching, they're talking. They don't have any money. And he's like, Jesus, we, we, just for us to give him a little bit, it's going to take us 200 days away from wages, we don't have it. So the first, and if we were to look at, and back in Matthew, uh, in this context, the first thing to say is, Jesus, we've got to send these people away. We, got to, we, we, we can't handle them all. Let's just send them away. Jesus says no, goes to Philip, what do we, where, where do we get the food? Philip's response, well, it's going to cost us too much. We don't even worry about where to get it at. And while all this is taking place, I love Andrew. Andrew is like a people person. While Jesus and Philip are figuring this thing out, Andrew's walking around trying to figure out what the people have. And after walking through these crowds and talking with the people, he comes back to Jesus and says, listen, all we have, all the people have, there's this one little boy. He's got five barley loaves. Barley loaves in and of themselves, okay. These they're not like five loaves of Wonder Bread that he's trucking around. He's a little boy, right? These these are like little pieces of bread, little flat discs, probably four or five inches in diameter that they would bake. Barley was inferior to wheat, so this isn't even a kid that's well off. It's a little boy with a little lunch. We look at that that Greek context of the word fish. It's 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 written in a way that that it really means little fish. That those, those two fish would be like two sardines, which is disgusting. But that's what they ate back then, I guess, right? So this little boy, little, little guy, has five little pieces of bread and two sardines. And that's all they have to work with. And so, so Andrew goes around and he's looking at the people and he brings this little boy to Jesus and he's like, hey, We have this. But then even when we look at Andrew's response, it's kind of like, but that's all we got. It's this sense of complete inadequacy. So first, the first response to the disciples is, let's just send them all home. Let's just, just, we can't deal with this, Jesus. Just you do your teaching and then send them home. Second response by Philip is, um, it's going to cost too much for you to even buy them a little bit of food. A little bit, like not even. They're not. He's not even looking to abundantly fill them. He's not even looking to give them a full meal. He's just saying we can't. We can't even give them a gummies for a snack. And then Andrew, his response is, "Well, we got this little boy with a little lunch, but I mean, what is what is two sardines and five pieces of bread for twenty thousand people?" I love this. All along, Jesus, and, and when we read that, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. Exactly what he was going to do, but he uses this as a test with Philip. And we see this, and for most of us, guys, we, we fall into this trap where we instantly go to this idea of money. As if money will solve all of our problems. Like, I'm not trying to get political here at all, but if, if, if you look at our, like, national debt, Like, it's $17 trillion. That's insane. How do we get so far out of whack? Because we have a Philip mentality, that we feel that the the money is going to solve all the problems. And this is not just us looking at our current president. Guys, this has gone on for generation after generation after generation, president after president after president. Like, we think if we just throw more money at it, it's going to solve the problem. In our own lives, we, it's, sometimes it can become this reckless pursuit of having more money. If I, just have a, if I just make a little bit more money, then it will solve this. At the end of the day, Jesus goes through this miracle and proves to us, it's not about us, it's always about him. It's not about us, it's always about him. And Jesus delights in using the little things, like this little boy, with a little sack lunch. It reminds me of a little boy who went down to a little brook and found a little stone with his little sling and killed a great giant. See, God delights in using the little. Why? Because it gives him the honor and the glory, doesn't it? I've said it before to some of you, and I I believe this, I mean, even this morning with a light crowd. Like, I believe that God will use Redemption Hill Church, and I believe one day that we'll be a large church. Not because of me, (laughs) because God delights in the little. I believe that God, one of the things I pray for, and Pastor Ryan I pray for all the time, is God, do great, amazing, mighty things that when people look at it, they say, there's no way that it's possible because of those two bozos. Well, this one, and he's pretty talented, but, right? but, 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 but that's what we want. We want people to look at it and say, how is it possible? How in the world can that be going on there? Because of God. Because of Jesus. Because Jesus took something small And multiplied it. So Jesus turns to Philip and the rest of the disciples and says, All right, guys, here's the deal go get the people prepared for a meal, tell them to sit down. We look in in Matthew and Mark, and they they end up dividing the people into groups of 50 and they get them all organized. And and that idea of sitting down, the actual Greek context of it tells them to recline. So during that Bible times, when they would eat, it sounds wildly uncomfortable, but during the Bible times, they would lay down and they'd, put, they'd lay like on one elbow and they'd begin to eat. Like, I don't, this doesn't, I need both hands when I, when I eat, right? But, but that's the way they did it. And so Jesus says, all right, listen, get these people, get them all into their groups, get them all reclined, get them prepared for a feast. Now, mind you guys, look at the disciples, look and they're like, all right, this doesn't, there's no money. We're too far from publics to go even buy the stuff. All we have is this little boy's lunch and we're going to go tell these people to get ready for a feast. They don't understand it, but they do it. They go. And the people begin to get in their groups, and they get organized. Once it's all done and it's complete, Jesus takes that little boy's lunch. Matthew tells us that he looks up to heaven, and he gives thanks thanks over that little lunch in front of all of these people. How often do we do that in our own lives? How often do we, even in the midst of difficult times, look up to heaven and give thanks for what God's blessed us with rather than complain about what we lack or what we think we need? Jesus gives thanks For this little boy's lunch, and after he does that, he takes it and he breaks it, and then one lunch turns into two, and then two lunches into three, four, into five, into six. As far as we know, as best we can tell by reading all four of the Gospels, this is a miracle that Jesus performs by himself. The disciples have the joy of being able to distribute it to the people. But can you guys picture, imagine the scene. A multitude of people. All these people, Jesus giving thanks with a little sack lunch. And then he breaks it, and they pass, and he breaks it, and they pass. And one by one, they feed everybody. All of them. Not just a little, but an abundance. That Greek term for filled, when at the end of this, as the people are done eating, when it says that Greek word for filled, that translation could be glutted. I mean, they were. I mean, how many guys have ever eaten so much that like you physically feel like you can't put anything else down? Like that's me on Thanksgiving. Right, my favorite place. um, at Disney, Dennis, you, you and I are at this, there's this restaurant called Ohana. Has anybody ever been to Ohana before? Oh, it's, my, it's a little glimpse of heaven, a little bit. Like it's, they just keep bringing you food after food after food after food. And that's what happens here. The disciples just keep bringing food and food and food and more and more until these people. They cannot physically eat any more food. While Philip only was thinking of the bare minimum, the minimum requirement of getting them something, Jesus had plans for abundance. He took a little boy's lunch and fed a multitude abundantly. What a lesson for us! There's so many things I think we can take out of this passage. Our view on stewardship, on money. Sometimes I've I've been there. Maybe you haven't, but I've been there before. You want to be faithful. You want to give your 10%. Times are tough. And you look, well, at the end of the day, what good is my $50 going to do? What good is my $5 going to do? It doesn't make any difference. Guys, if Jesus can take a little boy's lunch and feed a multitude, what can he do with our finances? Sometimes it's not just dollars and cents. Maybe it's time. We live in such a fast-paced society and we fill up our lives with so many different things. So many different distractions. Some are good. Some are just wasteful. But it comes down to this time where, where where we turn our devotion life, our quiet time with Jesus, into this like drive-through experience. We say, "All right, Jesus. Like I only got about five minutes before I have to hit the road to get to work, get to school. So I'm gonna just flip up the Bible and then fill me up as best you can." Jesus has plans for abundance in our lives. One of the things this miracle proves to us, though, is we need to be willing to let go. We need to be willing to give God everything. Not the church everything, but God everything. That's not easy for us to do, is it? It's not easy for Chad to do. I want to be the one. I'm much like Philip here. I I want to know the cost before I'm willing to invest. Or at best, I might be like Andrew and say, well, here's the deal, Lord. (laughs) This is what we have. But compared to what the need is, I just don't think it's enough. That little boy. Think about this story from that little boy's perspective. That's all that little boy had. What if that little boy wouldn't have given up his lunch? Could Jesus still have performed a miracle? Could Jesus still have fed all the people? He's Jesus, of course he could. But look what the little boy would have missed out on. The blessing that God used a little and did much. I want to encourage us this morning uh, as I was preparing and studying this passage this week. I've shared with you guys before um, this has been the the funnest six months of my life, but it's also been the most challenging six months of my life. Uh, I, I absolutely, without a hesitation, no questions, I believe, I know from the depths of my soul that this is what God has planned for me. But that does not mean that there aren't challenges. That does not mean that there aren't questions. That does not mean that there aren't struggles. This morning is a good example of that. One of the things, that I, and I know Ryan gets this a lot too, we, we are out and about in the community and people, other churches, other people talk to you and they want to know how things are going in the church and what's it like, da-da-da. And, and um, It's I, I tell people all the time, I love it, everything's great, but you know it's wildly erratic. Last week, I don't know how many people we had. 70, 80 people, something like that. And then this week, we have 30. <coughs> Be honest with you guys, there's the part of me that will struggle, that struggles with that. When I look out, I'm like, God, what's the deal? Like, you've called me. I know that. We want to be faithful. We want the multitudes, Lord. We want to, we want to be that, 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 that vehicle that you use to reach people who don't know Christ, who are far from Christ, or need a safety play, a place of safety. Use us, bless us. We want to be workers for you. Where are they? and I can begin to allow those worries to creep in. What, what's, what's summer going to be like? What's spring break going to be like? How are we going to weather this? And guys, listen, as I think about those things, God used this this week to hit me right in the gut. And tell me, it's not about you, Chad. It's not about your lunch. It's not about the things you have to offer. It's about me. I have the plan. I have the solution. I am the one that multiplies. My struggles are not no different than your struggles. I know for some of you, there's a, an intense struggle when it comes to your vocation, your job, your work. You want this, this, and this, and there aren't bad things to want but you can allow those things to drag you down. Our finances. God, I want to be able to live in this size house or drive that kind of car or be able to retire with this amount of money, and there's nothing wrong with a house, a car, or retirement, but all of a sudden that pursuit, this idea of money becomes so consuming that that's all you think about, that's, that's that at night you can't rest because you're, you're, your mind's racing thinking about it. Jesus has a plan of abundance for our life. Guys, I'm not a preacher that's going to preach this whole message of you put $10 in the offering plate and there'll be $1,000 in your bank account tomorrow. I'm not a quote-unquote prosperity preacher that's going to try and get you to give a bunch of money to our church. I will tell you this, I am a prosperity preacher in that I know Jesus is greater than anything we can ever expect and I know Jesus can supply every need in our life. And I know Jesus is more abundant than we can ever think of. And I also know that in our own lives, Jesus has brought five loaves and two fishes. And there have probably been times in my life where I looked at it and I looked away thinking it wasn't enough. I hope we find rest in Jesus. I hope we find the peace in him. I hope we learn that lesson that he taught the disciples. Because Jesus didn't just feed the multitudes, and that was it. Right? They were all full. The disciples, everyone was full. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, listen, get these baskets and go collect the fragments. And I don't believe there was a mistake in that when the disciples were done collecting the leftovers, there were 12 baskets full for the 12 disciples. Leftovers weren't common in Bible times. Most of these people that Jesus is preaching and teaching and talking to or on the low economic bracket. Jesus says, listen, I didn't just meet your need today, but tomorrow. That's the way Jesus always works. Look at all his miracles. It wasn't like the lame man. It wasn't like he just just said, hey, you got a headache, I'll take it away today, but you're still going to be lame. Or I'm going to heal you, but you're still going to have this bad limp. No, Jesus, when he did it, he did it right. He did it fully, he did it completely. He did it abundantly. That same Jesus that did all of this stuff in the Bible does it today for us. Continues to do it for us. And I find it interesting as that miracle ends, as the people are full, he does his teaching time with his disciples, the crowds go crazy. They're ready to anoint him as king. Jesus is fearful now, so he backs away. And the disciples begin to hide, remove themselves from the, the, the crowds because they want to usher him to Jerusalem and anoint him as the king. You guys thought about that? I mean, really think about this with Jesus. Like there was a time in his ministry that he was celebrated as a hero amongst all of these people. Like if he wanted to ride the wave of public support, he could have. He could have marched into Jerusalem and declared himself king from a governmental, earthly perspective. He had the support of the people. But Jesus reminds us here, and it becomes more evident in the stories that will follow, that the intentions of the people were not right. They were thinking with their stomachs and not their hearts. That's kind of the crowd mentality. Even us today, if we're honest, want to manipulate Jesus for our own personal agenda. Do things to get what we desire rather than do things to be close to Him. One of my favorite stories um, is about a missionary by the name of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot um, was a missionary like in the 50s, 40s and 50s. He was born in 1927. He and a group of, of five missionaries and their families decided to go reach um, a, a, a tribe group, the Aka Indians, right in Ecuador, I believe. This is a young man. I mean, he's... he's um, In his twenties, as they're attempting to reach this this group, and again, this is a group unreached Indian tribal group, they begin to make some headway. But then something happens, and this tribe turns on them and kills all of the Indian the, the the missionary men. They all die. Jim Elliott um, was very faithful in keeping a journal. Jim Elliott died on um, January 8th, 1956. But on October 28th, 1949, he wrote, made this statement in his journal. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep To gain what he cannot lose, we can spend so much of our life trying to gain things rather than just gain Jesus, to spend time with him, to get to know him, to love him more each and every day. I hope Jesus is not a genie in a bottle for us. I hope we don't turn Jesus into to something that, that we go to him in prayers, wanting, 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 delivering a Christmas list. I hope we go to Jesus because we want to be with Jesus, to know him more, to be with him. He promises us abundant life, but the abundance comes through Him, not all His magic. I hope and pray that's what we decide to do. Let's pray this morning.